Oh, hey, what's going on? Welcome to tonight's show. Um, we're back again for week two of 31 days of Halloween. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how I'm getting through 31 days of Halloween this year. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not terribly in the mood to watch horror movies. Um, I mean, I kind of am. I, I fluctuate. I fluctuate between this mania to read the news and then I need to turn my brain off and just watch horror movies. And I go back and forth like that. It's kind of weird when the news is horror and your comfort blanket, you know, favorite thing to do is to watch horror movies. They they can um, they can they can con conflict sometimes. That's that's the issue. So, you know, I don't know, man. It's just been a real mixed bag. I'm really trying to push through and complete. I, I always want to do the things that I say I'm going to do, or at least to the best of my ability. I said I was going to do this. And so I'm trying. We're, we're trying here at the uh, From His Channel to, to make good on that. You'll notice that I'm actually putting up each individual movie as its own episode. So we're kind of doing half and half of uh, when we talked about in our kickoff show. Um, did not get to as many movies this week either as I did last week. The first week one, I watched 10 horror movies. I felt pretty good about that. That was a pretty good, that was pretty good right out of the gate. And then, um, this week I only watched seven. So we, we missed, we lost out on three, um, in terms of total tallies thus far. So out of the 17 total movies, four of them have been revisits which is really good. I always want to keep my revisit ratio to new watch ratio. Um, I want the, the, the revisits to be small. I, I want, we don't want too many revisits. I mean, a revisit here and there is good, but it's always good to break new ground and watch stuff that you haven't seen. What's up, crazy white boy? Uh, Aaron is here. Hello, Aaron. So, yeah, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to talk about my watch picks, the things that I chose to watch this week. And then anybody who is here who feels like checking in and talking about what they or drop drop in the live chat what you've been watching and we can talk about it a little bit and then we'll we'll, we'll brush on out of here. Okay, so um, that is if you want to. Uh, so I'll go through. I'm going to do what I did last time now. If you read, if you've been following my reviews in the community tab, that's not the full review. That's just a little, you know, sort of guideline for what I want to say. I have more to say on each movie. Uh, so if you watch the actual segmented reviews, you'll notice they're a little bit longer, a little bit more, uh, they're, they're a little bit more elaborate. So with that said, let us jump right into it with um, week two. Let me find my little week two. We got Biz in the house. I see Biz is here. Um, here is my now. Remember last time I mentioned, I mentioned my um, my my Letterboxed. Come follow me on Letterboxed if you want to keep up with what I'm watching, or not. Uh, you can find the link in the description. This is this is where I log every movie that I watch is logged here on Letterboxd. Okay. I don't write reviews for every single thing that I watch. Sometimes I just rate them. Um, I do rate movies. I try to be fair. Sometimes uh, sometimes honesty hurts. But, uh, 
you know, neither here nor there. So, all right, let's uh, let's dive right into it, shall we? Okay. So, Evil Speak from 1981. Oh, man. Finally caught this on Shudder. Uh, Evil Speak is a title that has loomed in my to-watch queue for close to 20 years in one form or another. When I worked at Sam Goody, there were two boxes that I always like saw whenever I was like digging through stuff or like looking at stuff. One of them was uh, Dead Heat with uh, Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo, which is a really great movie. Highly, highly recommend that movie, which also, it also has Vincent Price in it. The cover art is terrible and does not accurately depict what is in that movie, nor what that movie is like, real, what's really going on. And the other film I used to see all the time was Evil Speak. And I knew it starred Clint Howard. I knew Clint Howard from Rock and Roll High School, amongst other things. He's always Clint Howard is one of the greatest character actors of all time. He is just in every B movie you can imagine. You always are going to have a little smile creep up on your face when you see Clint Howard. He's the brother of Ron Howard. He's in all of Ron Howard's movies as well. Um, brother Ron Howard was, uh, what's his face, on Happy Days. And he was on, um, oh God, what was that? Uh, the Griffin Show. Andy Griffin Show is where he got his start. Um, this is one of the only times where he actually starred in a movie. There are two horror movies where, where you have, where you have Clint Howard as the star. The first one is evil speak. And then in the nineties, he did ice cream man. Although I would say of the two, I, uh, evil speak is far more coherent film than ice cream man, which is not very coherent at all. Um, after finally giving it a spin, I really do feel like kicking myself for sleeping on this absolutely bonkers film for so long. I mean, this film really is nutter butters. I mean, there's so much crazy stuff uh, going on. As I mentioned before, this is what I wrote. I had a similar feeling when I finally watched Dead Heat for the first time. Um, you know, the poster art that you can see right here for, for Evil Speak, I don't know if you can see it that well. It's right here in the corner. The poster art for evil speak really does this movie justice you you're somehow paradoxically know what you are getting as well as can't possibly imagine what is coming and particularly the last 15 minutes is when the movie truly crescendos into madness you know it starts off with uh you know your typical like witchcraft like the you know here the the satanist from 300 years ago and then you know, somehow this Satanist, he, he winds up in a computer program. And this is this is 1981. This is at like the dawn of personal computing, right? Like, you know, the, the very, very beginning, like Apple and Macintosh are relatively new. So, I mean, this must have seemed so high tech for like 1981 and whatnot. And you have this guy, uh, Cooper Smith, uh, Stanley Cooper Smith, who he's at this academy, this army academy. And um, he just gets he gets really into this computer. Program. Oh, no, you know what he does? He finds a book. That's right. The book. He finds this book and he's translating the Latin through the computer. That's what it is. He's, the computer is a translator. And then, you know, it, it basically the computer kind of gets possessed and via evil speak from from that Latin and whatnot. And uh, eventually eventually cooper smith you know he's kind of like a a carrie white sort of figure you know like from the movie carrie from the stephen king story you know he's like a, a, a an oddball wallflower type of guy who gets bullied and picked on 
uh, as happens in these sorts of situations. And eventually he just sort of syncs up with this computer and gets possessed by the, the, the priest or whatever, who's actually kind of like a pig demon. There's like a weird, like pig demon monster that like takes him over for a minute or like is like inhabiting his body and whatnot. And um, we just, we get utter madness. Okay. We get an army of man eating hell hogs. That's the only way to describe them. There are these demonic pigs that come out of the floor and like they eat people and they eat women, naked women uh, showering, naked girls showering. Um, you know, we also, as I mentioned, there are satanic computers laden with super early CGI that holds up pretty well. You know, it holds up pretty well. Kind of like the, you know, if there was CGI in the original Star Wars, you know, when they're when Mon Mothma, Mothma or whatever is showing the, the the rebels how to penetrate the um, the Death Star, uh, it's kind of like a two steps up from that, and it holds up pretty pretty well. And of course, the best of all, we get crazy haired Clint Howard. So Clint Howard as Cooper Smith, his hair is like standing up on end. This is after he's become possessed. And he's being suspended by wires, clearly. But he's just floating in the air. And he's wielding a sword. And he floats around, just chopping off heads. And it's just, like I said, it's a carry-fueled frenzy, man. Um, you know, I feel like if Glenn Danzig saw this movie, he would absolutely fucking love it. Maybe he has. I, I, I bet he would love it. This would be, if Glenn was reviewing this movie, like he reviewed all those movies for Flipside, this would, this would, be, uh, this would check off all of Glenn's boxes. Um, and, and like I said, it's just really nice that Clint Howard is, you know, front and center as the star instead of, you know, shining as a character actor. Uh, I really think this could have been a franchise with Cooper Smith as some sort of like Freddie Michael Jason Chucky character. And uh, yeah, it just it just would have been great. It really, really would have been great. Yes. Yes, Matt, John, Damon, Demon Pigs. <laughs> That's right. My father was a boar. Um, so yeah, so I, I can't recommend this enough, man. It's great. It's on shutter. Everybody go check it out. I think it's on Tubi TV as well. So go give evil speak a watch. Just a really, really good time. I gave this one three and a half stars. Uh, before we continue and move further, I just want to get our sponsorship out of the way. Um, Riot Stickers is a sponsor of the Fromis channel. Uh, you, you, Riot Stickers cover all your stickering needs. If you need stickers, you go to riotstickers.com. We have a special deal going with them. As many of you know, the, these stickers, they're printed on vinyl. They, um, they have a UV coating that, that protects them from the sun. And you can get a thousand of them for $79 at the link down in the description. That's riotstickers.com backslash from us. You can't beat that this deal. Riotstickers.com. It's the only way to go for your stickering needs. Man, have you ever seen the reds on riot stickers um, maintain in the outdoor elements, you know, sun in, sun out? I mean, red is the first color to go. And yet with riot stickers, it remains. It maintains. That's how it goes for ridestickers.com link down in the description we'll be right back with more halloween 31 days of horror reviews
That's right. Riot stickers. We are the bomb. All right. This movie is called Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. And uh, a quick shout out to friend of the channel and friend of from us, uh, Kevin 45, a.k.a. Kevin Von Spear, who's who loves Phantom Things. I'm sure he's seen this movie before. I'll have to ask him the next time I speak to him. I This is from 1989. And this is, you know, much like Evil Speak, this is another watch that has languished in my queue for far too long. I almost purchased it. It's It was the, this poster art that you see over here. This was redone. This, this was beautiful poster art. Really made me want to watch the movie on a whole other level when Arrow did their re-release of Phantom of the Mall. And um, it just, man, that, that arrow video art looked too damn good to keep passing this up. And, you know, I was glad to finally give it a chance. Um, watching this, I was reminded of how integral mall culture used to be at its height in the late 80s and through the mid 90s. It was like the universe for all teenagerdom. You know what I mean? Um, and if you're going to update and adapt the story of Phantom of the Opera, of course, which this is based on, it makes perfect sense for it to be in a mall-type setting if you're making this film in 1989. Um, additionally, here's a fun fact for you. This is the same mall that is used in Shopping Mall, which we previously watched and reviewed, and you can totally tell, man. So I think it's really perfect for uh, a double feature, um, hey, Jody Ramon, how are you? Thank you for the skulls. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, man, we like the mall. That was it. That was the center of, of everything in life. And so this movie does a great job of, of calling that back, like the, the fondness for the mall. And it's interesting how the mall, you know, the mall is the perfect anchorage for for this in the same way that in the seventies, when Brian De Palma made one of my favorite films of all time, fan of the paradise, the paradise, which was a rock venue was essentially the same as the mall. So like, you know, they use the term Xanadu for Swan in Phantom of the paradise. And that is kind of like what the mall is in this movie. It is like a Xanadu in a way, a little bit, a little, little bit. Um, you also have well let me let me let me read on here. Uh Eric as the Phantom almost doubles as a superhero and kind of reminds me of Sam Raimi's Darkman. So Darkman came out like a year later and that was like Sam Raimi's attempt to sort of make an original superhero film like you know it had a probably it had a bigger budget. It really, you know, it it was Sam Raimi taking all of his like evil dead aesthetic and like upping the game and trying to tell a superhero story. And of course we know that he would get the chance to do it again, almost a decade and a little bit decade and, and two years later with Spider-Man and blow the roof, blow everybody's face off when he did it, but he did it the first time he did it. He did it with dark man, which also, shares a lot of, you know, DNA with Phantom of the Opera. You know, Darkman himself is very much like the Phantom and he even wears this like 
duster and he has the he has bandages instead of a mask in this case in in this movie and eric is the character in the actual story the the, the literature and whatnot uh eric eric's mask is taken from a mannequin he breaks a mannequin head and puts the the the, the broken piece over his face so that kind of works and then yeah he kind of becomes like a superhero a little bit um the reason why i bring up dark man in the first place is because you know watching watching Phantom of the Mall made me realize that Dark Man 2 is heavily inspired by Phantom of the Opera because I was noticing those those parallels. And I just can't believe that I never noticed that before. You know, um, I also noticed that Eric talks with a deep robotic voice and it reminds me very much of Win Winslow Leach from from Phantom of the Paradise, you know, when he's when he's as the Phantom. Phoenix. It's just a really great um, really great addition. I, I really like it. Um, eventually, Eric does kind of take an evil turn. I mean, the Phantom is not the Phantom is not a protagonist. He's kind of he's an antagonistic character for the most part. Um, I don't think there's really a. I guess maybe the female, the the the, the lady, the, the 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 woman, whatever the the girl, the the whoever plays the girl archetype is always like kind of the probably the closest thing to the protagonist. Um, in this case, the Swan character, you know, and mind you, this movie, Phantom of the of the Mall, as well as Phantom of the Paradise, all of them are sort of adaptations of an adaptation of Phantom of the Opera. So you have the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, but then in the uh, 40s, I think it was, you had the Universal Phantom of the Opera, and that's the story that is basically that's the different story where the music is stolen from the phantom and he's locked up in the attic and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff comes from the universal version. It's not the same as the Phantom of the opera, the silent one from 1925 that is super famous and that everybody knows. Um, and so you get that, that character, that antagonistic character, the swan like character who steals in this case, the steals land from Eric's parents as he commits arson is the guy who owns the mall and his son. I forget it. I forget his name. I don't even remember his name is. Um, but in any case, there's just a lot of, a lot of tie in and I like it. Um, eventually though yes eric does turn evil we get a lot of flashback you know it's funny i forgot what we were talking oh remember we were talking about the adaptation of frankenstein the girl uh the girl the angry black girl and her 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 monster and i was talking about how chris who's like the frankenstein character he doesn't have a lot of pathos you know um we didn't i, I we could have used some flashbacks with him to really get to know him a little bit better and in this movie we do get that we get that very thing that i was sort of craving and we get it in the form of eric having flashbacks with his girlfriend when he was still alive when he was still before he was scarred hideously scarred and whatnot uh so eric takes a turn he eventually you know he gets catches fire he jumps off a, a whole thing and i don't know there's this whole conspiracy about taking over eric's family's uh house so they can um build the mall and what's funny um is working in the mall is a super youthful pre-weasel Polly shorts right before encino man and Polly shorty works at a at a yogurt stand and he's kind of like the comic relief, but he also plays a straight sidekick in the last third of the movie. Um, as he abandons his habit of leaving gummy body parts in the frozen yogurt. Uh, 
Uh, also, additionally, the guy who burns down Eric's house turns out to be Mac's dad from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And if he didn't get humorously crushed in the story like dies, you could totally link the two in continuity with this film being the reason why Mac's dad is in jail. It would totally friggin' work, man. Um, that like, oh, he went to jail because he committed arson, used to be the small security guard. I would have loved that. That would have been great. That would have, that would have totally worked. Um, we get some real, as I mentioned before, there's some great Kung Fu that just comes out of nowhere. Like the, the phantom character, Eric, he is really good at Kung Fu for unexplained for un inexplicably. He is great at, at kicking ass Kung Fu style. And uh, yeah, so that's streaming right now on Shutter. Check it out uh, if you are interested. I gave it three stars. Okay, let's move on to the next movie. Ah, yes. Mars Attacks from 1996, directed by the great Tim Burton. I love Tim Burton. We don't talk a lot about Tim Burton on this channel, but let me just say I friggin' love Tim Burton. I've seen, I think I've seen every single Tim Burton movie at least once. And, you know, the rule of Tim Burton is, here's the rule to Tim Burton movies. If it is an original story, it's going to be pretty good. And if it's something that is an existing kind of IP, it's going to be lacking in some way, or it's not going to be as good. Case in point, Planet of the Apes, um, the, the Alice in Wonderland, um, Dark Shadows. Oh, the thing about Tim Burton is it's not always the case, but Tim is all about style over substance. He he is, and he's great in that regard. He likes he he very much gravitates towards certain story elements or certain things. And sometimes he chases these story elements or he chases these stylistic things. Um, at the expense of the film as a whole, like story included. Now, that's not to say that there are exceptions to these rules. I mean, but look, look at it. Look at like Beetlejuice. Again, we just I just mentioned Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes looks amazing, be beautifully shot, and the production design is gorgeous. But the story is atrocious, and the same can be said for Dark Shadows, which looks really great, but the story is just, you know. Um, but then you have stuff where, like, you know, he's done biopic stuff that's fantastic. I mean, Ed Wood is his best movie. That's my favorite, favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not that's not an exact science, but you know, here we go. We got Mars Attacks, which, by the way, is Mars Attacks is um, it's based on a trading card game. Okay, or it's based on the collectible trading cards, but there's no. There's no, I mean, that's where like the 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 visuals come from, where the the Martian designs come from. But you know, there's no actual. The story is an original story, and so in that in that example, it also really holds up. I always always have loved Mars Attacks, um, but this revisit took it to a whole nother level for me. Um, as a 38 year old man, I mean, I always watched it when I watched it when I was younger, I, there were things about it that I really liked. And there were things about it that I found frustrating, 
Like, I just thought like that just didn't work. And I think part of the problem was I just didn't understand how campy it was. I was watching it from, I was watching it from like a very serious point of view. I was watching it as a very serious science fiction film. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous when you think about Mars attacks. Cause it it's, it's a comedy. I mean, it is a comedy. It's like a science fiction, black comedy loaded, oozing, oozing with camp, you know? Um, but for 38-year-old Jeff, my viewing palette, it ticked off every box. I mean, it was just, it was great. And the reason why it used to frustrate me, I was mentioning how I was watching it. I never noticed how the tone shifts, kind of like a frog sitting in a pot of water that is gradually increasing in temperature. So you know that they have that thing, they talk about that, where like the frog, you put a frog in a boiling pot. I don't know why you, anybody would want to do this. I guess it has to do with the fact that the frog is cold blooded and um when you as you heat up the water the frog doesn't notice its body heating up you know what i mean and um and the frog causes the frog to boil into the pot of water without wanting to jump out because it can't notice it so the point being is i felt the same way watching and not understanding and when i was younger that the tone shifts in a similar way you know, um, the, the the tone at the beginning of the film is firmly rooted in real. And I put that in quotes, R-E-E-L, like real, not R-E-A-L, which is a completely different kind of real. That would be like real life, like realism. Real, R-E-E-L is like movie, movie realness. You know what I mean? So it, 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 it felt firmly rooted in real, R-E-E-L, life come quirky sci-fi very much akin to burton's dry humor and edward scissorhands so you know that's the thing about burton's humor man he he's like you know his humor he he's, he has he's a really good understanding of comedy you know and by the way just to go back for a second talk about like you know, style over substance and you know if it if there's source material if it's ip it's not going to be uh, the story suffers. I mean, case in point, look at Batman and Batman Returns, both incredible masterpieces that I have endless love for, but the stories suffer because Burton is so like, he's so magnetized to certain elements in, in the, in the first movie, there's really no plot to the story at all. We've talked, Bob Rose and I have talked about this in our Batman podcast. Go check that out on the channel. But like, you know, not like nothing really happens in the first Batman movie. Like that's that's a that's like a weird thing to say in, in Batman. Of course, things happen. Lots of things happen. But there's no there's no like driving narrative to it, you know. And in the second one, you know, the only person that really has an arc, the two, the two people that have an arc are the villains, man. The villains have arcs. You know, um, Batman is kind of just existing. You know, he's already Batman and he doesn't really change from the beginning to the end of the movie. There's no, there's no, there's no, you know, change for him. It's, it's, it's the penguin that changes. It's Catwoman that changes. And so like, that's his fundamental like flaw with certain things that he just, he gets so like wrapped up into, into that, in that kind of way. Um, but in a movie like Edward Scissorhands, the humor is so dry that it gives you cotton mouth. And it's the best. It's the best kind of dry humor that you could want in a movie. 
um, the movie takes itself incredibly seriously, but at the same time is like, you can't help but laugh at it. And so it's that kind of, it's like that kind of dry black humor that is just rampant in Mars attacks. And eventually it just, it, it, it devolves from that place. It devolves from that place and just gets sillier and sillier and goofier and goofier and more slapstick. And by the end, it's just so it's like a, a, a ball of yarn that's come undone and it's wonderful. It's great. But by the end, you literally have Tom Jones dancing with animals in the woods and the Tahoe caves singing. It's not unusual. You have Martians in the, in the chorus in the, uh, as uh, replacing the chorus girls. You know what I mean? It just, it just, it devolves, it devolves, but in a great, in a great kind of way. Uh, as I, as I mentioned here, and by the end, Tim has soaked his ode to war of the worlds by Ed Wood in the kitschiest of camp. Cause that's, it just gets so campy that it almost collapses in on itself. And that's really what, what this is. You know, uh, my favorite Tim Burton movie, uh, is Ed Wood for many, many reasons. One of them being that I'm just, I'm a filmmaker and I love making movies. And I love that this love, this is such a love letter to, to a guy Ed Wood, who was so passionate about making movies, he didn't let anything stop him. And he's widely considered, you know, one of the worst directors of all time. And he's just, you know, just a, a, a I don't know what else to say about him. He's just like a, an iconoclast in his own right, Ed Wood, you know, a truly a punk rock spirit, a punk rock independent spirit. Um, so, you know, my, like I said, uh, so so in, in my review here, I say one of them is the great love and respect that Burton holds for someone who has been given the laughable title. Sorry, my favorite Tim Burton. Sorry, let me reread this because I just totally screwed this up. My favorite Tim Burton film is Ed Wood for many reasons. One of those reasons, that's what I meant to say. One of those reasons is the great love and respect that Tim Burton holds for Ed Wood, who had been given the laughable title of the director of the worst movie ever made. And it's laughable. There's so many worse movies out there to call Plan 9 the worst movie ever made. I mean, it's a bad movie, but there's lots of them. It's not, you can't give it that title. I don't think there's any movie that deserves that title because there's so many. And then, you know, you have categories where like, oh, it's the worst movie ever made. And it's so bad that it's good. Like The Room, you know, um, Mars Attacks feels like Tim Burton trying to communicate with Ed Wood from beyond the grave by channeling his energy in a way that Wood could only ever dream of by making one of his pictures with a big studio backing with critics in reverence of his work. It's like Burton is saying, this one's for you, Ed. And it's a beautiful sort of notion that you should really keep in the back of your mind when you're watching Mars Attacks. Um, hot tip as well. The 1996 CGI holds up pretty well in many of the shots, but it looks perfect when you desaturate your TV to black and white and watch it as sort of like a 50s alien invasion flick that it is at its core. Um, additionally, I will say this too about the characters in the ensemble. I mean, Tim Burton recruits just every actor you could imagine. You literally, you have, everybody is in this movie. Everybody from the nineties is in this movie. 
Um, you have Jack Nicholson, you have Pierce Brosnan, you have Glenn Close, Annette Benning, uh, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael J. Fox, Tom Jones, Lucas Haas, Natalie Portman, Jim Brown, Lisa Marie, Paul Winfield, Pam Greer, Jack Black, um, Christina Applegate. I mean, just what a what a cast, man. What a cast. And you know what he does? He kills them all. He kills them all. Thank you for the donation, Mr. Bullet. John has, has, has donated to the cause. He's bought some coffee. Much appreciated. Biz agrees. That's a good way to describe Tim Burton's films. Hit the nail right on the head. Thank you so much. Um, make sure you uh, leave me skulls, by the way, and like, share, and subscribe this uh, video. Um, what was I just saying? So you get, you get, get this big, big, big ensemble. And what does he do? He just, he kills all his characters, man. He just, he just knocks them all off, man. It's friggin' beautiful. Like, he's like, let me establish all of these characters and just one by one ditch dispatch them in the best kind of way. It just, it really is. It really, really is terrific. And I'll tell you one last thing. Um, there, the, like I mentioned, it's a black comedy. What happens, what I, something I noticed, what happens to Sarah Jessica Parker and Pierce Brosnan is so utterly horrific to both of them. Like it is, it is, it is so scary. I was never like afraid watching it as a child or as a kid, the way I was watching it as a 38 year old man, the notion of like to having your head removed and then placed on your dog's body. Or how about like just being a disembodied head? By the way, totally an ode to the brain that wouldn't die. The way Pierce Brosnan's head is just sort of like, you know, attached to the, the gizmo, the doohickey. And behind him is his discombobulated body just still pumping blood and whatnot. I mean, man, that is some serious body horror. It's really sad when they uh, eventually die, their heads... I mean, it's so it's so sad and funny and and goofy all at the same time. The heads roll to the floor and they embrace in a kiss. It's just it's just so sappy and goofy and romantic and 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 dark. And only a guy like Tim Burton could do something like that. So you know what else is there to say? Um, Mars Attacks is on Amazon Prime right now. Is I think where I watched it. And if you've never seen it before, I, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, just you are in for such a fun time with Mars Attacks. Okay. On to the next one. Uh, ah, yes. Okay. Here we go. Oh, I should mention. I gave Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks gets four out of five stars. Um, okay, here we have another one from Shudder. This is a Shudder exclusive. It's called the Jin, and it's it looks like it's spelled Dujin, but it's that's actually the D is kind of silent, kind of like Django, like Jin. That's how you do it. And a Jin is a sort of a Arabian. I don't know if it's Arabian or just in, indigenous, just Middle Eastern. Uh, mythology in general is like you know kind of like a mix between a a, 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 a a genie and a demon 
you know, like for instance, the Wishmaster series. Remember the Wishmaster from the '90s? That's a gin. That was the gin, the Wishmaster. Uh, this one, this movie is about a little boy. This movie is about a little boy who can't talk, and he it's, it takes place in 1989 for some reason. I don't know why. And he lives with his dad, who who works at a radio station, and he basically finds you know, materials and, and, you know, paraphernalia that allows him to make a wish, summon a gin and make a wish. And the gin stalks him. And uh, just like no one will save you, which we reviewed last week, we are treated to a narrative that doesn't rely on dialogue in a wonderful way. Like that was good. I, I was down for that. Instead, we are treated to some serious, intense atmosphere and a few jump scares that gave me plenty of unease. I think watching it alone in the dark at 12.30 a.m. helped a lot. So I was watching this by myself, um, and I don't know, man. I had, like, goose pimples. I had, like, goosebumps when um, something scary was about to happen, like, anticipating it. I don't know what it was. Like, I felt a chill come over my body. I typically don't have those sort of physical reactions, but that movie, this movie definitely gave it to me. Um as I mentioned, th those reasons why it might have. Um, the goodwill to pay off all of this intangible dread ended up being squandered in the storytelling, unfortunately. Um, we aren't left with much, and by the end, I was personally unsatisfied. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just It's a short film. It's only 80 minutes, which I like. I always love movies that are 80 minutes because especially during 31 days of Halloween, because they're easy to just zip through. Um, and I almost feel like this could have been a, a really great 15 minute short film, you know, like we, that we get about as much of that. And then we, it, the, the runtime feels like it's really pulled like taffy. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it was okay. I gave it two and a half out of five stars. You know, which is, it's 50, you know, it's average, you know, um, just not, it just, like I said, it just didn't really do anything. The gin was scary. It had these sharp teeth. I don't know. Um, it's, it's worth, uh, it's worth checking out, I guess. Um, I'm sorry. I don't sound very enthusiastic. I'm trying to think of something really positive to say about it. Well, I did. I said it, it really did elicit that reaction. I, I, I enjoyed that part of the viewing experience. Um, but the story just, I don't know, there wasn't much to the story. There was this whole thing with the mother and the mother had, you know, don't want to say that out loud. And um, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 the relationship with the dad felt a little thin. It just, I don't know, it just did not work for me. Eventually he does, he gets his voice back that he's wishing to get his voice and the whole thing, there's this whole thing where he has to like keep the candle lit until 12. And, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't feel enough stakes. That was another thing too. Um, so there were some moments of, of really, really scary, scary bits, but it just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. The gin it's streaming on shutter. Check it out. Okay. Let's move on to the next one gotta tell you it's much easier to make videos this way than it is to like <laughs> than it is to like shoot a video after each watch that was such a slow how did i do that for two years i had a lot more time on my hands that's part of it that's part that's partially the reason why 
Okay, Meg to the Trench. This is directed by Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley has made a lot of genre films. He did High Rise. He's he's most famous for Kill List, which has a great twist ending if you've never seen it. Must Kill List is much must watch. He also did um he did A Field in England, which is uh, very interesting, very cerebral. And he did, um, what's that movie where they're all in a warehouse shooting at each other with guns? I forget what that's called. Free something. And uh, yeah, Ben's an interesting genre filmmaker. And um, for some reason, he was given the reins of the Meg of Meg 2. I enjoyed the first Meg. It's a lot of fun. You know, most of the time, you know, every shark movie is just a ripoff of Jaws. Like, it'll never be done better than Jaws. But they can be fun, man. They can be fun in their own right. I feel like I feel like the key to making a really good shark film, or at least something that I want to see in a shark film that we do get in this movie, is uh, more human, human versus human conflict. Like, I appreciate man versus shark but like sharks can be utilized in so many other ways like the shark could be the catalyst for conflict between two groups of people and i just feel like that's the premise that's not utilized enough it's kind of done here i don't think ben wheatley wrote this movie he might have i mean we could check i'm just being really lazy right now let's check let's see who wrote this i don't think ben wrote it um, it was written by, no, it was written by Dean Jorgaris, Eric Hober and John Hober. And, uh, by the way, the other movies that Ben had free fire, that's what it's called. Free fire. I didn't know he made a, a, a version of Rebecca, the Hitchcock movie. I got to check that out. High rise. I mentioned sightseers that's the other one i think that was his first movie right he he did something for abc's of death as well so he's made a lot of genre stuff he is people love him people love ben wheatley i don't mind him um i was really happy that he directed i i was totally happy that he directed meg too um which by the way the synopsis here is an exploratory dive into the deepest depths of the ocean of a daring research team spirals into chaos when a malevolent mining operation threatens their mission and forces them into a high stakes battle for survival and that's what really the movie is for the first hour and then it kind of then we get like the, the all the sh real shark stuff in the back end and for that reason for that plot mention this movie totally feels like it's turning into a franchise that is in the same vein as fast and furious. And frankly, I'm all here for it. You know, um, maybe by the fifth movie, they will be in outer space. So who knows? Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's really what kind of happens. You have this like, and you could tell the movie had international financing, which is great. I love internationally financed movies because you get really interesting international perspectives you know, you could tell that um, you could tell this movie had some Chinese money um, injected into it in a, in a good way, in a good way. I think it's wonderful um, when, when movies are sort of joint productions like that. You just get a you just get such a, a variety of interesting actors and people. And I, I don't know, the movies are always like another great example of that is the Snow, Snowpiercer Man. 
Snowpiercer is an international movie, and like you just you get so many, you got so many different people in that movie. It's really great. Um, in any case, uh, what was I saying <laughs> here? So, so here's a perfect example of mindless fun that you can enjoy without straining a single brain cell. That's right. When I was watching this movie, my brain was turned off. I kept the, the one thing I kept thinking in my head while watching this movie after a very, uh, hard news week, um, is is where why aren't there more sharks like there's not enough sharks and then eventually we do we get them we we get some more shark action and we get when we get to the bottom of the trench where this mining operation is taking place the the malevolent mine op mining operation after they've done this like deep sea diving down there and they're in these weird like strength suits like these iron man type suits that allow them to walk on the bottom of the ocean and suddenly they've opened up the Meg world, which I think is really the smartest thing to do. Because again, like I said, if they do franchise, I mean, they just, there's so many places to go. They have like dino lizards that can swim, you know, miles under the water, but also like walk on land. You have the Megs running around. You have these like eels and you even have giant octopuses, man. Um, and it just, it's fun. It's great. You know, I, I, it's so hard not to laugh and giggle with amusement as you watch the sequel because, you know, he just, I don't know, it, 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 he just, Ben Ben Wheatley just like goes balls to the wall with it. Um, he has been, listen, he hit some of his later films that we were talking about earlier. They are kind of hit, hit and miss, man. Some of them, like I wasn't a big fan of Free Fire and High Rise, I thought was kind of a nothing burger. Uh, but I really think he's found a new groove with with Meg too, the, the trench. Um, Bob Rose was on the channel from time to time. He proclaims, uh, this is what he proclaims about Bruce in the movie Jaws. Um, he says that that Bruce is not a shark, but rather a monster. And so as Bob Rose proclaims about Bruce in Jaws, these Megs are not sharks but rather monsters that have to be fought and killed. And Jason Statham channels Arnold Schwarzenegger in Last Action Hero without a single ounce of self-awareness. So this movie is, you know, the thing about Last Action Hero, it's like a super meta movie, even though people didn't like it at the time. Um, Last Action Hero is completely aware of what it is doing. This movie is doing the same thing as Last Action Hero, but is not aware that it's doing it at all. And it's great. It's just, it is a parody of every like goofy action trope. Um, the, the movie is so serious in its attempt to jump the proverbial shark and, you know, and expands expect spectrum of creatures, including the dino lizards that I mentioned as well as the giant octopus. Um, we, we do the one thing that does kind of suck. And I said, we don't get the the shark and we don't really get shark action until the second half of the movie. So we lose the focus of the Meg because we're getting all this extra stuff. But ultimately, I think it's worth it. And uh, I hope they just keep making these movies and just watching Jason just like <laughs> he single handedly kills a Meg shark. It's so goofy. It's so dumb in the best kind of way. I really can't. Re I recommend this one a lot. Uh, very much um it's streaming on max aka hbo and i gave it three and a half stars go watch meg to the trench right now just want to see real quick rebecca huh oh and it's on netflix 
How did I not? How did I miss this? I'm adding this to my watch list. Okay, good to know. Good to know. All right, what's next on the list here? Okay, ah. Here we have a movie called Sheepskin from 2013. Okay, Sheepskin, man. This one's streaming on Tubi TV, and it's another one that's been in my queue forever. So the theme emerging this year is rewatches from a really, really, really long time ago that feel like almost like a you know first viewing and movies that have just languished in my queue for over a decade that I'm finally getting around to watch. I've been waiting to watch Sheepskin for over a decade. Same thing, that, you know, just like I've been waiting to see Phantom of the Mall as well as Evil Speak. And now here, finally getting to watch Sheepskin, which is a micro-budget film. Budget's $25,000. I always take note of that because I always find it to be interesting when a budget is really, really low just to see what they do with it. Steven Biro uh, from Unearthed Films put out this film, and I'm really glad that he did. I love the poster art. Really, like like just draws you in sheepskin with the, I mean, man, you look at that thing and you go, whoa, uh, really great painting uh, of sheepskin. Uh, earlier this month, I discussed my love for uh, what are they doing with the bodies at the morgue? When we were talking about play dead, their first watch of the year. Um, I love those kinds of setups and I felt, I feel a similar affinity for is it actually the thing, question mark? Uh, there is plenty of reasonable doubt setups. So again, let me just repeat that one more time. It's kind of like what you have in the Nicolas Cage, Ron Perlman movie, Season of the Witch. Is she a witch? Is she not a witch? Like the benefit of the doubt, we're not really sure. There's reasonable doubt not to believe. Like we can't tell what is actually happening. Is this actually the thing? There's plenty of reasonable doubt. In this case, um, uh, th those types of setups, I'm a sucker for them, man. Um, in this case, uh, it's utilized here when a punk band is convinced um, that a man is a werewolf and they kidnap him to prove it. So they, they kidnap this guy and they bring him to this like, you know, room, this like underground room bunker type place. And they interrogate him, trying to prove that he is a werewolf and that he killed the leader of the punk band's sister, who everybody knew and loved. So these four members of this band, and I will say the one thing that annoyed me was, I mean, we just, we didn't get really get to know the punk band very well. One of the things that annoyed me, there were a couple things that annoyed me. Uh, I really, really, really like this film. I have a lot of respect for this movie. I really do. I really think everybody should check it out. It it really it's very short too, man. It's like it's like seventy five minutes or something. It's really short. It goes really to the point, and I appreciated that. You know, I always appreciate that. Um, it's a self contained, high concept story with shades of Reservoir Dogs. So if you like Reservoir Dogs, you will appreciate this film. Uh, and it's the perfect, it's also the perfect example of a premise with a hook that can be pulled off with minimal resources. And that is exactly what the director, Curtis uh, Spieler, uh, mostly manages to do with Sheepskin. So he manages to pull this off with quite clearly minimum re resources. And I mean, he does a fantastic job with it. Uh, the story is lean and it gets right to the point, which I, I really didn't mind. 
But I also would have really loved 10 or 15 minutes more of character development. So even though this movie's 75 minutes, I would be totally fine if this movie was like 90 minutes and we got a little bit more um we got a little bit more uh development around everybody. Every all the characters are a little bit more fleshed out. We learn a little bit more about the punk band. We learn a little bit more just like everybody. Like I feel like the there wasn't enough characterization, you know, and and that didn't stop the decisions being made from not feeling earned, they all felt earned, but I just felt like some additional backstory would have really uh, further solidified it. If that makes any sense. Um, And you know, what's funny is that 10 to 15 minutes that I kind of was hoping of character development, it might exist, you know, but here's the thing, this guy, Curtis, who, who wrote and directed this movie, he also works as an editor. And he might have decided to cut away the fat, you know, I mean, like he might have had like a real editor's mindset and just trimmed, trimmed it too, too thin. Um, Like I said, the movie works. You could tell, I mean, you could tell that this dude is an editor and that he knows how to edit something. But like, I just, I would have liked a little bit more meat on the bone. Here's the thing that I did have a lot of trouble with. I'm sorry to say this, but I have to admit it. I did have some trouble with the performances of most of the uh, actors in this film. I'm sorry, man. Uh, And that's, that's what happens in low micro budget type movies, man. Just sometimes the performances are just, they can be really thin or they could be, they could just be wooden or not convincing. And in this case, they just were not convincing to, for me, they didn't all quite work for me as a viewer Um, But here's the other thing, too. They didn't get in the way of my enjoyment and appreciation of the craft and effort that was put forth in this film. So it's like, you know, it's a little bit of everything. Um, I don't have a list of filmmakers who I would want to give a million dollars to remake their micro budget films and scale it up. But if I did, Curtis would be at the top of my list with Sheepskin, hands down. I highly, highly Highly recommend anyone who is looking to make indie films to watch this movie. It's available on Tubi. So this is definitely something you got to check out. You know, I mean, we could have used a little bit. You know what else we could have had? We could have had a little bit more werewolf mythology in it. You know, just just like a little little bit more sort of stuff that that was just missing. And um, you know, we get listen the, the the thing that it does better than anything else is it does the Reservoir Dog thing really really well so if you like reservoir dogs then you are gonna like this it's like reservoir dogs with a punk band and a motherfucking werewolf great or is it Uh, i gave it three and a half stars out of five uh check it out streaming on tubi okay so Um, okay. We have mom from 1990. Now, um, it's been a long time since I've revisited mom, but it was a solid rental memory for my local videos, uh, stores horror section in the early 2000s. So in the early 2000s, I used to frequent a lot of local Uh, video stores one of them was called music plus movies and it had the finest horror film section in fact several of those horror vhs's 
were rescued when the when the when the place closed down. I rescued. They were selling them off for five dollars a piece, and I I picked up a whole bunch. And in some cases, those VHS are those are not the first time I ever saw said movie is on that was on that very VHS. So they they have a very deep um, meaning for me. Um, that horror section of that video store really like captures a a like a time in my life. Like that's such like a time capsule. So like this movie, I have a deep affinity for this movie because it reminds me of that time. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Uh, Scorpio releasing, it was either Scorpio or Red Code uh, put this out, one of the two, uh, put out a Blu-ray, a very overpriced Blu-ray of this film. And I snagged it up and I was saving it for 31 days of Halloween. And um, man, mom is just one of those rare genre treats, man. If you like, if you like genre films, then man, mom is for you. And not just genre films. Well, let me, let me further clarify. Mom is somewhat of a rarity in its breed. Uh, while the monstrous element is sometimes mistakenly referred to as a werewolf, uh, this is actually one of the very few films out there that is featuring ghouls. So to clarify what I'm saying, when you read about mom online, often, often they refer to the monster element as a werewolf and it's not a werewolf. And here's the thing, Nestor, who's played by uh, Brian James, and you may remember him from that great Tales from the Crypt episode. He's also in uh, Blade Runner, he plays one of the replicants at the beginning. Uh, really intense, he always plays really intense bad guy parts, and that's there's definitely what he does in this movie. He plays this guy named Nestor, uh, who turns out to be a ghoul that loves to eat pregnant women, including their fetuses. It's pretty grisly. And, um, you know, he says something to Clay, who is the son, he's the, the, the protagonist. Uh, he is the son of the mom, right? Um, he tells Clay at one point something along the lines of, because Clay is trying to figure out what he is. And he says, vampire, werewolf, it's all the same. Like, you know, trying to just, just leaving it completely ambiguous, you know? And I, and I can appreciate that amb ambiguity, but uh, I wish it was more defined with a better explanation of what Clay's mom is exactly. Um, in the end, this inconsistency doesn't affect the story or its impact. So even though the rules are not solid, like the fact that Nestor dies um, from getting burned and then Clay tries to use a flamethrower on his mom and it doesn't hurt her. But then at the end, she blows herself up with like a gas gas main in the kitchen, like you know, using the stove, kind of like the way Nestor died. It's just, it was very, in, it's very inconsistent, but it just, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters about it is that I just wish, like, I want to know more about what kind of monsters they are. They, 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 they live for a long time and they look ghastly. I mean, just ghastly. You get a kind of a glimpse of, of uh, what they look like behind the mom here. Now the, the, the actress who plays mom, hold on, let me tell you what her name is. Her name is uh, uh, Jean Jean Bates, and she is also in she's also in Silent Deadly Night for the Initiation. She plays one of the witches, and she is great. She's a great actress, 
And like I said, yeah, yeah, Brian James as well. And um, this is what the synopsis actually says. Call her mad. Call her monster. Just make sure you call her once a week. So the tagline, and that's funny because I'm going to dwell on that in a minute. The tagline is, you know, kind of makes you think that you're about to see a, a black comedy. By the way, this is available on Tubi if you don't have the overpriced Blu-ray. Uh, that's well worth the overpriced, by the way, but still overpriced nonetheless. You can watch it. It's streaming for free on Tubi. I highly recommend everybody watch this on Tubi. During a time when the city of Los Angeles is terrorized by an animal attack styled murders, a kindly elderly lady provides a nomad with a room and board. It turns out that, see, here's it says, turns out he's a werewolf and is responsible for the recent killings. And maybe they call him a werewolf because it just makes it easier for marketing, but he's not a werewolf. He bites the elderly woman, turning her into a hungry werewolf. She's not a werewolf. And now her adult son must try to prevent the both of them from doing any more harm. No, she is. She's some kind of ghoul. She's she's I don't know if she's uh, she is undead because, you know, Nestor, he gets stabbed with some knitting needles and he like pulls them out. He's like totally fine. He, he even says there's very little that can actually hurt me. And um I don't know. I just find that to be more in line with some sort of ghoul or revenant, a flesh eater. He's a flesh eater. He, that's in fact, that's what they, they say that in the movie. They say they, they, I think he refers to himself as a flesh eater. Um, I've also noticed this. Um, every time that I rewatch this movie, the tone gets darker and bleaker, man, darker and bleaker. Oh my Lord. Um, and, that's the thing, as we just read with the tagline, it's sort of marketed as a comedy, but this isn't even black comedy, okay? It is a grim story of compulsion through hunger until it becomes an all-consuming obsession that bleeds over onto the ones you love. That's what the movie is really about at its core. And like I said, Bleak doesn't even begin to describe what happens in this movie. It is so dark and so sad by the end. It really is. It really, really is. And, you know, I wonder if the reason why I noticed that or the reason why I'm picking up on, on that about like, you know, the fact that, that it, it bleeds over onto the ones you love, you know, personally, I'll be honest with you. I'm experiencing this in my personal life with a close friend who is suffering from mental illness. And so I'm watching these movies and I couldn't help but notice the toll of trying to help someone who can't help themselves and the madness that it brings. You know, I, I my friend, he doesn't want to get help for his mental illness and it, his brain is rotting and it's terrible. And I'm like, I, I, this is a little TMI, but like, this is just some of, some of what I'm dealing with. You know, I don't talk about this often, but I don't talk about this at all. The point being is that I'm watching these horror movies and I like I see that same theme. I understand that that thematic element so well. It's a theme that I also noticed in Pet Sem Cemetery Bloodlines. And I alluded to, to this when in that review. If you watch that review, I, I alluded to it, man. It's like you you're, the, your loved one is either harming themselves or harming other people. But yet you're kind of like either protecting them or trying to help them or trying to, you know, you know, you're creating, you're trying to implement short-term solutions to long-term problems. I don't know. There's a variety of things that, that happen. Um, 
In the case of Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, I noticed it more from the parental POV. And in Mom, I notice it more, it's more like, you know, could be anybody, could be your friend, could be just someone you know. In general, people love to slag on horror movies and B-movies, but they are capable of transmitting powerful messages and great pathos when you look under the surface. And Mom is a great example of such. Um, it's really, the, the gore and the monster effects are great, really great especially some of the stuff that happens at the end. Some of it is just like really just straightforward, practical stuff. Um, this is a movie that I would love to see remade or expanded on. I want to know more about the creatures. I want to know more about what's going on with, with um, you know, other creatures that are in a similar sort of, situation like i feel like you could tell the story a hundred times and it would be interesting every single time if you did do sequel after sequel after sequel the movie just kind of ends it's just one of those endings just like boom the final thing happens and then the movie is over we don't get any catharsis we don't get any real epilogue we do get um a very interesting kind of reveal i guess would be the best way to describe it all i could tell you is just watch this movie do not skimp on mom and I believe that's it for our, yeah, we, we, we reached it. So that, that was movie 17. So I've watched 17 movies in 15 days. That's pretty good. But, you know, I thought maybe I would get, do another 10 this week. And then I would be on, uh, on track to, to doing 40 movies this year, which would have been awesome. I don't know if I'll hit that. I would love to hit it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. It'd be great if it did though. Um, what are you guys watching? Anybody else who's still watching this thing? Anybody want to tell me about what you're watching? Biz says, Biz is recommending shark movies. Um, I thought Deep Blue Sea was the second best shark film after Jaws. I'll tell you, has one of the best death scenes. Samuel Jackson, a friend recommended me Santa Jaws. And I cannot stop giggling at how silly it was. Yeah, um, I've heard of Santa Jaws. Looks really interesting. I also know there's the, the, the cocaine shark as well. Uh, yes, I've heard of ghost shark and sharks of the corn. There's also the Sharksercist or the Exer shark or something. It's like an Exorcist. Of course, you have the, the, the Sharknado movies as well. Oh, nin and Ninja versus Shark. Uh, there's no end to what you can do with sharks. Here is uh, D's watch list right here. Week two. Number one, the appointment. Um, oh, okay. The the rating the rating uh, system is is out of a hundred. Wow, that's a big one. So the appointment got one out of a hundred. Two, you saw Saint Maud, which is seventy five out of a hundred. I haven't seen Saint Maud yet. Uh, three VHS, eighty five out of a hundred. Okay, that's cool. Dr. Faustus, 60 out of 100 from 1969. Haven't seen that. Uh, Bedevil. I've seen Bedevil, I think. 90 out of 100. Okay. Uh, you know, I started watching Terrifier 2 as well. And I everybody says that it's really good. I was not a fan of the first one. I was thinking about watching the, the second one. I started it, and then I just never got around to it. It's very long, and I don't know with all, everything that's going on in the world. I was like, I don't know if I can handle just the, the first one's a mean film. There's just so much mean shit that goes on in it. I just, I don't know if I need that in my life right now. 
So I'm apprehensive to continue watching Terrifier 2, but maybe I will. Maybe it's maybe it's something I need to do. The wind was boring as hell, and I almost dozed off a couple times. I like the wind. Is that the one with the settlers? That's the set that's the one with the settlers, and like there's that weird black goo, right? Isn't that isn't that am I thinking of the right thing? VHS was not Biz's cup of tea. Oh man, I'm so I'm sorry to hear that. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed VHS 85. I my favorite VHS thus far though is VHS 99. VHS 99 really fucking good. They just get better and better and better with age, man. They really really do. Not better with age. The more sequel, maybe like the more sequels there are, it just I don't know, it gets better better and better and better and better. Um what else you got for me anybody? Anybody else got anything else? Otherwise, we can just wrap this up. Um, I hope you're enjoying these 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 weekly roundups. I'm sorry I haven't been doing more live shows. Like I said, the world has just really gotten me down. I've just been barely managing to do this. It has been like the most I can do. And then chopping this up into individual clips. And that was about it. Uh, Curse of the Werewolf. It was interesting, uh, and the way of creating a werewolf was a new one for me. I haven't even heard of it. haven't seen it. D says, I hated the first Terrifier. The sequel's pretty good. I mean, that's what I hear more often than not, that it's just that it's just a, the Terrifier 2 is just great. Uh, but D says it's still pretty mean, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I might wait a little bit longer. Maybe I'll try to get to it in week three. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do... 11 movies you think that's possible probably not i don't know we'll see <laughs> uh dracula yes okay this is in my queue for this week dracula dead and loving it uh which i used to man i i watched that twice in the theaters mel brooks can't go wrong i'm not gonna say anything about it because i'm planning to i'm planning to rewatch it so i'm not gonna say anything about it um i could i could really go for that Especially considering that we watched uh, Vampire, or I watched Vampire in Brooklyn, I should probably watch Dracula Dead and Loving It. That that's a great double feature right there. I think I mentioned that actually. Uh, what else is in my queue? I want to watch Doctor Giggles. Hopefully, I'll get around to Doctor Giggles. American Gothic is something I really want to see. Now, I have a bunch of movies that I have on Arrow because I went a little crazy and bought some Arrow movies over the summer when they had a fifty percent off sale. And the problem with watching Blu-rays for 51 day, uh, 31 days of Halloween is that I always have to watch all the bonus features before I watch the movie. And it just cuts into like movie watching time. It like slows me down. I recommended Curse of the Werewolf. You know, I did not. I recommended Curse of the Werewolf. What? All right. What the heck? I have no memory of this. Curse of the Werewolf. Let me look this up. Curse of the Werewolf. I, I think you're wrong. I would remember. Oh, oh, oh. The derp. Curse of the Werewolf. Of course. Of course. The Hammer movie. Yeah, with Oliver Reed. Yes. My bad. I did recommend Curse of the Werewolf. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Wait, so what did you think about it, Curse of the Werewolf? You say, 
it was interesting and the way of creating werewolf was new for me. Right. Okay. Now I know exactly. Now it's in the front. See, this is where my head is at. I like completely forgot about that. Yes, of course. I remember that. I, of course I recognize that. Yeah. Bride of Frankenstein is an oldie, but goodie. Absolutely. Daughter's pick was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Great movie. Um, your daughter has good taste. No, I did. You're right. If we wa- if you watch the last week's episode, I did. I did recommend it. I just totally or, or the kickoff I did. Totally, totally recommended it. And I completely forgot about it. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, man. That's a movie that when I like after making two feature films, like after like becoming a filmmaker and then rewatching that movie for the first time since like renting it on VHS as a filmmaker from a filmmaking perspective, I was so blown away by Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a fantastic fucking independent film. Like it's the best. It's, it's the goat for the re for a reason. It's not the ultimate goat, but it is a goat. It is a goat movie. Uh, I think that's going to conclude this, this show. Okay. So everybody, We'll see you next week with another broadcast. I don't know. Hopefully I will. Maybe I'll get to a show in the middle of the week. Maybe I won't. Like I said, uh, I'm just, it's really hard to live stream right now. I just don't feel like doing this, to be honest with you. I just don't want to. Um, I'm forcing myself to do this show because I committed to it. Uh, But everything else is just kind of like, more John Christ, more secret shows coming, more all that for sure. And that's it. That's all I got. So thanks for joining me. Peace. Hair grease. We'll see you next week. Week number three.